Now we get to personal injuries. This dealt with slavery. Now we get to personal injuries. Verse 12, whoever strikes someone so that he dies must surely put to death. But if he does not do it with premeditation, but it happens by accident, then I will point for him a place where he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks his neighbor to kill him cunningly, you will take him and even from an altar that he may die. So basically, God makes a distinction between manslaughter and premeditated murder. Now you have to understand something, two things. In the ancient world, first, they didn't make a distinction between manslaughter. If you killed somebody, it was the responsibility of the next of kin to come and they would murder you. And a lot of times they wouldn't murder you because in the ancient world, it was kind of like, you kill my brother, I'm going to kill you and your brothers. Because that's what Shechem did to, or I'm sorry, Simeon and Levi did. It was not uncommon to get vengeance against everybody. That's why in Deuteronomy, God says, vengeance is mine. So first, they did not make a distinction between manslaughter and premeditation. Excuse me. They, um, they did not make a distinction between premeditated murder and manslaughter. The other thing that they would do was not uncommon that if you murdered somebody of a equal or higher class, you could be put to death. But if you murdered somebody of an equal, kind of not equal class or lesser class, then all you had to do is pay a fine. Or you could pay somebody else to die in your place. You could just take your slave and say, hey, you're going to die for my murder. That was accepted by other laws. What God is saying here is, I don't accept fines. If you kill somebody and it's premeditated, you die. Nobody else, no fines, you die. You're the one that did it. That was unheard of in other laws. Second, if it was accidental manslaughter, then you could flee to a city. And later in Joshua, God's going to designate 12 of 24 cities where they could flee to all throughout the nation. And they could flee there and they would stand before the priests and they would have a court proceeding. And if the priest determined that it was an accident, then the kinsman redeemer, the guy who was responsible for atoning for the blood of his dead relative, had to leave him alone and walk away. But the guy who accidentally killed that person had to live there until the death of the high priest. Why? What it's saying is, you don't have to die because this was an accident but you still have to bear the consequences of the fact that you did take somebody's life, so you have to live in this city the rest of your life. And it's not quite prison, because it's still a city, and you get to have a normal life, and you'll work, and you'll get a job. You're just living in a different city now, away from your family. And then your family can come and visit you and all that kind of stuff, but there are consequences. You still took somebody's life. It was an accident, but you still took somebody's life. And so there were, and that's how God made the distinction. That's no different than even today. If you accidentally kill somebody, there are consequences. It's going to seriously alter your life for a long time, if not all. But at the same time, you're not going to get the death penalty like other people. And nobody else can die in your place, and you can't just pay a fine and get out of it, unless you're a politician, okay, (laughs) or a celebrity. So these laws are really no different. They sound different, but they're not really that much different than what we think, if you just translate them into our culture. Then he goes on in verse 15 and says, whoever strikes his father or his mother will surely put to death. Now notice it does not say if he strikes them and they die. He just says if they strike them, then they're killed. God takes honoring your mother and father so seriously that even if you strike them. Now this isn't your little kid who's just like, I hate you, and they hit you, or they push you, 
although that's dangerous. I read a story once where a kid pushed their mother in anger, like a little six-year-old, and the mother tripped over the washing machine door, dishwasher door, and broke her neck and died. I can't imagine living with that for the rest of your life as a little kid. So even that can be dangerous. I mean, it's a miracle that anybody lives. Having kids, it's like, how'd they, a miracle they make it to seven and eight, nine, ten years old. Okay? This is the, I literally hate you, I want you to die, physically striking you, grown kind of adult kind of a thing. That's what God is, because the idea is if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to attack your parent like that, there's, you're going to, nobody is safe. Nobody is safe. Whoever kidnaps someone, sells them, or is caught still holding them, must surely put to death. This is where it also says you shall not steal. You're not allowed to steal other people. This is why the slavery that we think of is actually not allowed according to the law of God. Because our slavery was kidnap. We were stealing people. And that's why our slavery is condemned in the Ten Commandments. So God extrapolates the theft and says stealing people. So the sex slave trade today, which actually makes more money than even the drug industry now. And boys and girls are equally kidnapped and sold. It's not just a girl thing anymore. It actually now makes more money than drugs do in the world. And the heart of the sex slave trade is America. That is kidnapping and horrible other things. And God is saying, if you kidnap somebody, you're going to be put to death because you're taking somebody's life and you're enslaving it in a horrible way. Not only that, if you didn't kidnap the person, but you're caught holding them, you're put to death. Because you can't just say, well, I didn't take them. That's an excuse. You're still holding them. And that's true today. You don't get the death penalty, but you will be prosecuted for kidnapping just as much for holding them as if you were the one that actually napped them. And so the reality is that's the penalty. Whoever treats his father or mother disgracefully must be surely put to death. Now, if you just take that word disgracefully, we would probably all be put to death, okay, in every kid. That means whoever publicly curses their parents. So the idea is you stand up in public and you say, I hate my parents and I want them dead. That is punishable by death. Because anybody who's willing to stand up in public and announce that and pronounce a curse on somebody, that's seriously dysfunctional. Verse 18, if men fight and one strikes his neighbor with a stone or one with his fist, he does not die, he must remain in bed. And then if he gets up and walks about outside on his staff, then the one who struck him is um, innocent, except that he must pay for the injured person's loss of time and see to it that he's fully healed. So there's no penalty for the person who injures somebody physically if they survive. If they get crippled or they have to be in bed, then there's no penalty for that person, except that he must pay the medical costs. But there's no jail time or that kind of stuff. Why? Because God assumes that if you're willing to fight, then you probably deserve it. It's like when my kids wrestle and they get hurt. And it's like, well, you kind of have to accept that that's going to happen if you're going to play like that. Okay, I mean, I, I'm sorry that you got hurt, and I'll hold you in compassion, I'll help you heal, but I'm not going to feel sorry that you actually physically got hurt because you know after so many times that you're playing like this. So the idea is if you're going to be willing to fight, then there's no real penalty except for the fact if you seriously injure this person enough that he can't work, you should pay workman's comp, so to speak, until he gets better. 
But if he heals and he's able to go back to life, then that's it. And that's kind of true today with a lot of court cases, unless you have a really good lawyer who can milk the system really well. Verse 20, if a man strikes his male servant or his female servant with a staff so that he or she dies as a result of the blow, he will surely be punished. Now, the punishment is the idea of death penalty. That's the only punishment here. God doesn't explicitly lay out the punishment. Therefore, the punishment is the antecedent death penalty. This, there was no punishment for people who killed their own slaves in other cultures. The idea was that you lost out. But God actually says that the slave should be treated just as equal as anybody else. However, if he injured the servant and survives one or two days, the owner will not be punished for he has suffered the loss. Now you're okay, that seems wrong. So if he injures the servant by beating him too hard or punishing him too hard and he's crippled, then he doesn't have to face any charges? No. Because the charges now, he beat his servant so hard that he has to pay all these medical bills that get his servant back and up, and he suffered the loss of days, that basically the punishment is already going to be pretty severe. Remember, there's no prisons in the ancient world. So all there really is is a fine or the death penalty. Those are your only two options. There's no prisons. So the fine is that he didn't kill the guy, so he doesn't deserve the death penalty. And he injured the person, so he has to pay the medical costs, but he already would have done as a master. So that's no different than two free people hurting each other. Right? So two, even today in America, if two people get in a fight and hurt each other, and one goes to the hospital, the one will go to court, and they'll make him pay medical charges, but he doesn't get prosecuted, right? He just has to pay the medical costs or the fines, or he gets sued. Same thing here. Master hurts a servant. He doesn't die, so he doesn't get prosecuted for murder, but he has to pay all the medical costs just like he would if he was a free person. It sounds like the free person is not treated as equally, but it's really no different than two free people hurting each other. Verse 22, if men fight and hit a pregnant woman and her child is born prematurely, but there is no serious injury, he will surely be punished in accordance with him and the woman's husband's and the demands on him, and he will pay the court to size. So if a man hits another woman and the baby comes out, and it, the argument of whether it's premature or not is, it, it, it doesn't matter. The word here means if the baby comes out healthy, then he hasn't committed any wrong for murder or injury. But he has to pay what the court and the husband decides together, not just the husband, to cover whatever emotional costs they might have or she was freaked out so she paid more medical bills to figure out what was going on, whatever. But if the baby comes out injured, if there's serious injury, then he will give a life for a life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, and burn for burn, and wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. So there will be a serious penalty if the kid is injured. So the idea is if the kid's foot is crippled, then he gives a foot. If his eye is crippled, he gives an eye. If his life is life. Now, that sounds harsh, but that's not exactly what's going on. This is called a talion law. Talion laws are tooth for tooth, nail for nail, foot for foot. Okay? And that sounds really harsh. Like, wow, seriously, I accidentally blind a guy, so I have to sit there while you blind me? That does seem barbaric, and that is barbaric. That is not at all what God is talking about. I'll give you an example of what a talion law is. Right here he says eye for eye, tooth for tooth, nail for nail. But when you go on, it says this. Verse 26, if a man strikes the eye of his male servant or his female servant, so that he destroys it, he will let the servant go free 
as compensation for the eye. Now, is his eye getting blinded because he took another person's eye? No. No. But is he seriously suffering the loss of a servant? Like, let's say he bought the slave and he's only had him for one month and he accidentally blinds him and now the slave goes free. With compensation. That's a huge loss to the guy, right? What is a talion law? A talion law does not mean that you literally take the tooth of another person if they take your tooth or the eye or whatever. It's a metaphor of saying that the punishment must be equal to the crime. Why is God giving this? For two reasons. One, I already mentioned to you both of these. One, it was not uncommon in the ancient world that if you blinded me, then I would literally go after you and blind you, and the laws would protect me. If you killed my brother, then I would kill you and your brother. And that was all considered just, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. And you can't even remember why you hate each other anymore because you're just retaliating now. That was justice. That's how Muhammad fought his wars. Okay, that even all the way up today, that's how they do it. Eye for eye. Literally, they will go overboard. Justice for them was hurting you even more than what you hurt me. So with Italian law, God is saying eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And what he's saying is this. You're not allowed to go over what the person did to you. You're not allowed to get vengeance. It must be justice. It's a metaphor. Two, it was not uncommon for me to just say, oh, I'll just pay a fine. See, the master would just pay a fine and go on. Or he'd get somebody else to lose his eye for him. And God's saying, no, 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 no. If you did it, you suffer the cost. And so what this did is this said, you can't go overboard and you can't get out of it. The courts must seriously look at it and say, what would be poetic justice? And that's how you are to rule. Now, how do we know that that's the the way you interpret this Talion law? Because every example of a Talion law in the Bible is not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's just making sure that there is a penalty and the penalty stops there. Does that make sense? So once you understand the culture... And once you read all the other, see what people do is one, they don't know the culture and two, they just read that and they say, your God is horrible. But once you understand the culture and you realize, wow, that's actually pretty good compared to what everybody else is doing. And then you read every other law in the Bible and you realize, wow, there's no literal case of Italian law ever. Then you realize that it is a metaphor when you see all the other examples. And so this is what he's saying. Now notice too in verse 26 The master, the slave is protected. The master can't just say, oh, I heard him. No big deal. He's my slave. The slave gets to go free, which means the rights of the slave is protected from the master. If he knocks out the tooth of his male servant or his female servant, he will let the servant go free as compensation for the tooth. Now, I know that these aren't like really exciting to go through these. It's not really exciting for me to even teach these. I mean, I love the Bible and I love teaching, but even here it's just kind of like, uh, I, I do not want to be a lawyer. I don't ever want to be a lawyer. This doesn't like float my boat. Okay? But why are we going through this? We're going through this because, one, I want you to see, two, once you really understand the culture and what's going on, this is really no different than most of our laws today. There's a few varieties and exceptions, but overall, The spirit is the same. The second thing I want you to see is that what God has really laid out here is that the rights of everybody are protected. 
God is making it very clear that if you're rich or poor, free or slave, everybody is to be treated equally. And yes, there's some places where it seems like the servant is not being treated equally, but once you really look at it and compare it to our law today, you realize if you think of it more as like employee and boss, you realize it's not really that much different. And what you must realize is the Bible actually assigns a greater worth to people's lives than any other government or culture during this time period. No other culture holds rich and poor, free and slave, male and female, up as high and equally to each other like the laws of the Bible do. And that's what you need to see here is what seems like, well, duh, is actually culturally revolutionary for these people. I mean, this is women's rights movement here. This is child anti-child slavery laws here. This is abolish. It's all right here. And if we would have just seriously read this and the cultural context that it was, as Americans, as we formed America on Christian values, as we exterminated the American Indians and slaved the Chinese and the blacks, we would have never done any of that if we truly built this government on Christian values like we think we have. And here's what's interesting. The church supported slavery in America. The church has often supported many anti-female rights. If we would just actually have read this law and saw the heart of God, rather than saying, well, that's just legalism, or that's archaic and barbaric, or we're not under the law anymore. It doesn't matter if you're under the law or not. This is still his heart. And yeah, maybe it doesn't look the same in our court systems today, but the question is, how do we translate his heart in today? It really would have changed a lot of our political stances as Christians and the church and that kind of stuff. And when you really go through this and look at our history, you kind of realize that we have really missed the boat on the Ten Commandments in our own hearts, in our own churches, in our own country. And what it begins to realize, make you really truly realize, remember the whole point of the law was to reveal your need for a Savior. And this kind of stuff, and you look at our history and our own lives, the history of our church, the history of our country, it makes you realize that what I really need is not a good Republican or Democratic candidate. What I really need is Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to fix us. Because this is the heart of God. And we have fallen so short. And our court systems, and even what we amen on Facebook. There's a lot of times I'm horrified what we amen on Facebook. Because we're just mindlessly quoting things or like this article 